Awesome. Very good. Well, thanks, Clark. And good morning, everybody. Hey, let me just uh, reiterate something, too, with the, the life groups that are starting. We're so excited about the summers. They're amazing people. If you're looking to get connected to a life group, that's an awesome uh, place to get connected. But we oftentimes say here at the Medina East Campus that um, if you are not in a life group, then you are missing out on more than half of what this church has to offer. And so uh, we very strongly encourage anyone who is new here, even if it's your first time here, uh, to check out some of our life groups and get connected. You can get more information, like Clark said, um, at the Info Center. Uh, about that. You could do that. So this morning, so excited, starting a new series this morning called God Connect. And uh, if you are a first-time guest with us this morning, thanks for being here. We're glad you're here. And, uh, you know, we oftentimes say that um, a new series is the best opportunity to get connected. Um, you got a chance now to kind of jump into a thought pattern that we're just starting. We hope that you're able to join us for the entire series. Even if you disagree with some of the things that we talk about today, that's totally cool. We hope that you just investigate with us um, through the duration of this four-week series that we're starting today called God Connect. Uh, this series in particular, simply put, God Connect is really, it's about prayer. That's what we're talking about for the next four weeks is prayer, which is not really surprising, right? I mean, we're church. And so we're talking about prayer at a church. That seems pretty typical, something you kind of expect to happen when you walk into a church that we talk about prayer. So why are we doing a series? Why are we, why are we investigating prayer together for the next um, four weeks? Well, let me, just, let me just start this series off by telling you what we're trying to do and what we're not trying to do um, in this series. What we're not trying to do uh, with this series is we're not trying to tell you um, simply that you need to pray more. Um, that you just need to discipline yourself, grit your teeth, discipline yourself a little harder, and, uh, and engage in prayer more frequently. That's not, that's not exactly what we're trying to say during this series. I don't know about you, but I can just tell you in my experience, um, as it relates to the topic of prayer, for, especially for those, I think, for those of us who follow Jesus, and I know not everyone in this room follows Jesus, but I think for, for those of us who are Christ followers, I think that this topic, the topic of prayer, oftentimes has a lot of guilt associated with it, right? And so, so even for some of you, when I said, hey, we're going to be doing a series on prayer, your first reaction was to feel a little guilty. You're like, oh, man, I don't do that enough. I need to do that more often. Jeez, I'm really failing in that. And I can just say that because I know that's me. As I was preparing for this series, there's a lot of times I'm like, man, I, I need to pray more. I just really need to get at that. I need to discipline myself harder. I need to grit my teeth a little more. I need to modify my behavior a little bit more so that I can, I can pray more frequently. Now, I, I want to say that that might be an outcome of this series, but that's not the goal of this series. The goal of the series isn't for me simply to tell you that you need to pray more. Because as I found in my own experience, prayer is one of those things that's often advised, it's often advised, but it's seldom explained. Uh, we live in a culture today that looks very favorably, not, not on religion, but on prayer, right? We live in a, a culture today where prayer is something that is advised, it is advocated. Every major religion prays in some form or another. And so not only here um, in this auditorium this morning, but in sanctuaries across the United States, in temples, in synagogues, in mosques, prayer is taking place everywhere. And so we live in a, in a country where prayer is something that is very strongly advised, prayer is something that is very strongly advocated. We talk about it all the time, right? And in fact, you'll, you'll hear people say things like this a lot. They'll say, man, our thoughts and our prayers are with you, right? And what do they mean by that? Well, we, we look at that, like, that's a nice, what, a, what a nice gesture that someone would pray for me. But what exactly do they mean when they say that they're praying for you, right? And so, so in this series, what we're looking at is we're saying that prayer is something that's often advised. It's actually looked pretty favorably upon in our culture, but it's seldom explained. And so what we want to do in this series, here's what we actually want to do. We actually want to back up and we want to ask the big questions about prayer. And what I mean is like this, questions like, what exactly is prayer? Right? Like, what happens when I pray? What, what is actually occurring 
when that happens? Am I simply just pushing forth mental energy? Is that what's happening? What, what actually happens when I pray? What is the purpose of prayer? What is the meaning of prayer? Why is it that God wants us to pray? I don't know if you've ever asked those questions before, but our hope is in this series that we can kind of dig in and really just sort of investigate the topic of prayer. So our goal isn't simply to tell you, man, you need to discipline yourself and try harder and pray more, but actually our goal is to explain what is prayer and, and do a little investigation because I believe that when we begin to understand that, that the other things come naturally, that prayer comes as a result of truly understanding um, the heart of prayer. Not about you, but I can just speak for myself. To be honest with you, as it relates to this topic, the topic of prayer, um, I have a lot of questions and I have a lot of confusion. And my guess is that for some of you, whether you're a Christ follower or not, whether you grew up in a religious background or you didn't, whether you even believe in God or not, my guess is that as it relates to prayer, you probably have a lot of questions. You probably have a lot of uh, thoughts on it too. And so this series, I just want to let you know, is just as much for me as it is for you. And so my hope is that as we go through the next four weeks, we can kind of clear up a little bit this topic of prayer. And out of that, my hope is that we would be inspired uh, to pray more frequently. So, so as I was saying, just kind of getting into this series, as I've been praying and I've been studying and I've been thinking and I've been talking with people in preparation uh, for this series, let me just tell you that there's been some conclusions and observations that I've drawn about prayer through my conversations, through my study. And I just want to share a few of those with you as an introduction this morning to this whole series, a few of the observations and conclusions that I've reached as it regards to prayer. Specifically, I want to talk about three and really just kind of one. But let me give you the three observations that, that I've made about prayer. Okay, so here's the first one that I've made about prayer as I've been studying and thinking and kind of looking at things. Here's my first observation about prayer. That prayer itself is mostly powerless. All right, I, I said it, that's what I'm saying. Prayer itself, my first observation and conclusion about prayer is that prayer itself is mostly powerless, mostly. Now, when I first wrote this sentence down, I actually wrote it this way. Prayer itself is powerless. That's the way I wrote it. But then I realized that's not entirely accurate because there's been some studies that have been done uh, by major universities, by psychologists, and, uh, and by sociologists that show that there is some benefit to prayer. So let me just give you a few examples here. All right. So uh, according to a study by Central State Hospital, uh, a study on prayer, you can put that up on the PowerPoint, this is what the, uh, the study concluded. It said the psychological benefits of prayer may help reduce stress and anxiety promote a more positive outlook, and strengthen the will to live. So some studies have shown, yeah, there's some benefit to prayer. It may help lower your anxiety level. It may kind of, you know, help you with a few things. And so there's some psychological studies that there's some benefit to prayer. Or here's another example. Now, this comes from uh, a psychologist named Mallette Endale from Emory University. She said, regardless of religious affiliation, right, regardless of what religion you are, taking a time-out period dedicated to concentrating on a higher power provides a much-needed respite from the concerns of modern daily living. Plus, focusing on something other than self is associated with improved mental health. Right? So what she's saying here, she's saying, well, studies have shown that you know, people who pray, regardless of their religious background or whatever, that you know, it's a good thing. It's, uh, you know, it gives you a more positive outlook on life. It helps lower your stress, maybe helps you sleep a little better at night. But, but I don't know about you, but all those things to me sound like they are um, minimally powerful. Right? You're like, yeah, you pray. You know, it kind of lowers your anxiety. It sort of helps you breathe a little better. But you, know, you can also get the same benefit by working out every day or the same benefit by taking a nap. Right? which oftentimes when I pray ends up happening anyway. And, uh, but what I've, what I've concluded about prayer is simply this, as I studied. Prayer itself is mostly powerless. Mostly powerless. Now, I know as I say that, there's some of you that cringe, especially those of you who kind of grew up in a religious background. You cringe at that. 
And, uh, but let me just tell you this. Before you pick up rocks to stone me uh, for saying that, I just want you to know this isn't just a conclusion that I've drawn. This is something the Bible teaches. The Bible actually teaches it. You know that? That the prayer itself is mostly powerless. You're like, yeah, right, show me. Okay, I will. I'll show you this morning. I will show you. In fact, what we're going to do is we're going to look at an example in the Bible today of a prayer. I mean, you're not going to believe this. In my opinion, this prayer is, uh, is the, I, as far as I can see, the most extensive, the most passion-filled, the most authentic prayer recorded in all of the Bible, with maybe the exception of Jesus praying in the garden. That's, he probably wins. But aside from that, this prayer is the most extensive, most powerful, most fervent prayer we've seen in the Bible. And the results are powerless. Nothing happens. And, and I just want to show that to you. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't we look at it together. 1 Kings 18. That's where I want you to turn your Bibles with me. Old Testament, 1 Kings 18. Um, if you brought a Bible with you this morning uh, and you, you're not sure where 1 Kings at, is, is at, um, you can just look in your table of contents. No shame in that, right? Um, or if you want to, we have some Bibles out there for you. Page 246 is where you're going to find um, 1 Kings chapter 18. You can flip there in those Bibles we have provided for you. Um, if you are a smartphone or an iPad person, you can log on to our Wi-Fi, uh, download a free app called Uversion. It's awesome. And, uh, and you can get to First Kings that way as well. Also, let me just say this. Um, if you're a person that's just visiting with, with us this morning, you're a guest, um, like I said, we're glad you're here. If you don't own a Bible outright, if you just don't have one or you don't have a newer translation of the Bible, would you do us a favor? Would you just take one of ours and make it a gift from us to you? You can write your name in it, and, uh, and hopefully you get a chance to enjoy that. We think that um, having a Bible is so important, and so uh, we would love to give you one of those if you don't have one or if you don't have a newer translation. So 1 Kings chapter 18. And as you guys are flipping there, let me give you some background, all right? There's a, there's a long story that, um, that kind of builds up to the story we're going to look at today. So let me just give you a long story short. So basically, here, here's what you need to know. In the Old Testament... The Bible tells us that God's primary mechanism for working in the world in the Old Testament was through a nation, the nation of Israel. They were God's chosen people. You guys have probably heard that before, right? God's chosen people, the Israelites. Well, the reason they were God's chosen people is because they were the people that God chose to reveal himself to. They were the ones who were entrusted uh, with the things of God, and they were therefore to be representatives of God to the, to the world, to the onlooking world. They were God's chosen people. Uh, intended to be represent, represent, representatives of God. Well, God, therefore, gave Israel some rules and regulations. He said, here's some stuff I want you guys to do. If you're going to be representatives of me, I want you to represent my heart. I want you to represent my character. I want you to represent my love. And so he gave them a list of commandments, 10 commandments. He gave them more than that later on, but God gave his people 10 commandments. Here's the way that I want my people to act, right? And the first commandment that God gave his people was this. He said, you should have no other gods before me. In other words, you should only worship me. I'm your only God. Now, this would have been, for Israel, this would have been, made them very different. It would have made them very unique in the, in the world that they lived in. See, back in this time, the neighboring nations would have been polytheistic, which polytheism basically just means you worship many gods, right? And so all the neighboring nations would have worshipped several gods. Literally, here's what they would do. They would have went in the woods, found a, a, a nice piece of wood, carved out an image, and said, this is my God now. I just made my God. I'm going to praise this God, worship this God, believe this God is the creator. That's what these neighboring nations would do. And God said, I don't want you to do that because it's so fake and phony. Obviously, you just made the God. He's like, I'm not like that, okay? 
I made you. You didn't make me. And so God said, I want you to worship me and worship me alone. Well, by the time you get to 1 Kings chapter 18, what we see is that Israel has been doing a terrible job at that. And, uh, and what we find is that there's a king, a guy named King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And they're these, this, this wicked couple who are leading the nation of Israel, and they lead the people from worshiping the one true God to now worshiping all of these other gods, these pagan gods. In particular, we see that Israel has been led to worship two gods. One is the god Baal, and the other was a god named Asherah, a goddess named Asherah. And what we see in this passage is that conditions had gotten so bad that there were now 450 prophets of Baal. Uh, prophets would have been like religious leaders. And there was 400 prophets of Asherah. Right? And the Bible tells us that at this time, the prophets or the religious leaders of the God of the Bible, of Yahweh, were few and far between. And most of them were hiding because they were being persecuted for their faith. So there's one guy in particular, one guy in particular who had a lot of guts, who was a messenger on behalf of the God of the Bible. His name was Elijah. And if you guys don't know anything about Elijah, man, you, you guys got to read the book of 1 Kings because it's awesome. Elijah... He, not only was he a servant of God, and not only was he dedicated to the things of God in the midst of a time where everyone was in opposition, but on top of that, the dude was just one bad mamma I mean, this guy was awesome, and you're going to get a taste of that. So here's what happens, right? So King Ahab and Jezebel have been leading the people away from worshiping God into worshiping these false gods. Elijah sees this, and so he goes right to Ahab, and he confronts him. And this is what I want, want you to see. We're going to start in verse 19. Elijah is going to propose to Ahab a very interesting competition. Right, so check this out. Verse 19. He says, Now summon the, this is Elijah talking to Ahab. He says, Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. He says, And bring 400, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the, the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Verse 22, Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And then you call on the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So here's what's going on. Elijah goes to Ahab. He's like, Ahab, you've been doing a terrible job as a leader. You've led the nation away from worshiping Yahweh to worshiping these false gods. He says, so I propose a competition to you. He says, and essentially the competition is a pray-off. He's like, what we're going to do is we're going to go to Mount Carmel, all right? He's like, we're, we're going to set up altars. Okay, now an altar, just in case you're wondering what that is. Uh, back in the Old Testament, this was a typical way that people would worship. They would set up like a campfire. They would call it an altar. They would sacrifice an animal and put it on the altar and then set fire to it, and the aroma was intended to rise up to the God. It was a way of worshiping or sacrificing um, to a God. So he says, okay, so let's, let's do a little competition. It's a pray-off. He says, you set up your altar. I'll set up my altar. You pray to your God, I'll pray to my God, and the God who answers by fire wins. That's the competition that he sets up. Now, there's a couple things that you might not notice that aren't immediately obvious when you read this passage that, that you'll see that what Elijah was doing when he proposed this uh, competition was he was um, intentionally setting the odds against himself. So let me just show you a few things that maybe you didn't notice. First off, notice the location of the competition. He says, let's have this competition. He says, Mount Carmel is where we're going to have it. 
That's really significant. Why is that significant? Here's why. Mount Carmel um, was what was believed to be, by the prophets of Baal, the dwelling place of Baal. They believed that Baal's house was Mount Carmel. Right? And so Elijah says, I'll tell you what, we're going to have this competition, and you know what? I'll give you home court advantage. We'll go to Baal's house. I'll play the away game. Right? So he's intentionally setting the odds against him. Notice the other thing. Notice the ratio. 450 versus 1. 1 on 450. So there's some pretty staggering odds there. Right? I'm sure you guys have been seeing in the news, LeBron James is back in Cleveland. I know that's got some mixed reviews. Some people are happy about that. Some people are like, whatever, dude. But regardless of your opinion about LeBron James, I think all of us can admit that currently he's the best basketball player in the game. I mean, that's obvious, right? And LeBron James, as skilled and as talented as he is, I think that it's reasonable to say that maybe he could win a one-on-three game with other NBA players. Maybe, right? But one-on-four fifty? It ain't happening. No one's doing that, right? And so here's Elijah. He's like, okay, here, here's the game. You ready? Uh, you guys get home court advantage. We'll, we'll play over on Carmel in Bale's house. We'll go to Bale's house. He's like, and then uh, you guys have 450 prophets, and I'm the only one. So 450 to 1. And then notice this, the game. He says, and the game is lightning. That's the game. The God who answers by fire is what he says. Now, this is really important. And the reason it's important is because it was believed that Bale was the god of the storm. That's what they believed. They believed that thunder was the voice of Baal and lightning was the weapon of Baal, right? In fact, uh, archaeologists are still digging up a bunch of stuff about Baal worship. Let me just show you a few images that they're digging up here. You want to put those up on the PowerPoint. Um, one is called uh, Baal, the god of lightning. Well, you can see here he's, um, but this is Baal apparently, um, and he is holding in his hand a bolt of lightning. On the top is actually a tree uh, like, like it's supposed to be a tree because uh, they, they believe that, of course, thunderstorms brought life and vegetation. So Baal was considered the god of the storm, right? And so I want you to see what Elijah is doing here. He says, okay, home court advantage. We're going to play at Mount Carmel. The ratio is ridiculous, 450 on one. He says, and then on top of that, why don't we play Baal's game? Lightning. Light, lightning is, is the game. So you build an altar, I'll build an altar. You cry out to Baal, I'll cry out to Yahweh. And whoever answers by fire wins. That, that's the competition. So he sets this whole thing up, all right? So you see all that. All right. Then look, what's the people's response? After he said this, look at the second part of verse 24. Then all the people said, I don't know why I think this is so funny, but I do. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Which I don't know why I think that's funny. I guess partially because it says all the people said it. I'm like, how did that work? Did they all say it in unison? Like, was there one guy who's like, you guys ready? Okay, ready? One, two, what you say is good. Like, <laughs> I don't, that, the other reason I think it's funny is because who talks like that? Who says something like that, you know? I think we should reintroduce those kind of phrases in our vernacular. So someone's like, hey, you guys want to go to Rockney's after service? What you say is good. We should do this thing that you say. Uh, who talks like that? No one talks like I, I don't know. Maybe you don't think it's funny. I do. So... <laughs> Then in verse 25, so they're like, let's do this thing. Verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, okay, so you choose one, one of the bulls, you prepare it first, since there's so many of you, and you call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given to them, and they prepared it. Now watch. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. So hours, they're calling on Baal. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. There was no answer. And then they started dancing around the altar that they had made. Right, so here's what's going on. These guys are like, okay, we'll go first. So they set up their altar, and they start praying to Baal. And the Bible says it's the morning. Um, then, then it's late morning, and they start shouting. 
And then hours go by, and now it's noon. And they're yelling, answer us, answer us. And nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. So then they decide, well, maybe Baal wants to see us dance. And so they start dancing around the fire, you know, kind of ritualistic type of thing. They start dancing around this fire. And, and they start kind of going at it. Now, this is what I think is so funny. Because apparently this whole time when these guys are praying, Elijah's just standing in the corner watching. He's just, I just imagine he's got his hands in his pocket. He's just leaning watching this whole thing, the dancing and the shouting. And look what he does. Uh, verse 27, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. This is so funny. 450 of them. There's one of him. I mean, this guy has got a backbone a mile wide. He just sits there. He starts taunting him. He says, hey, shout louder. Go ahead. Keep yelling, guys. He said, surely he's a god. Surely. He's like, oh, you know what? I know. I know why he's not answering. Perhaps he's deep in thought. I bet you maybe, maybe he's just you know, zoned out. He's just spacing out right now. That's why he's not answering. Or maybe he's busy or traveling. Which you've got to understand, there is something in there that you miss, and it gets lost in translation. The word there, busy, um, in the original language, was a word that was often used, which meant to relieve yourself in the bathroom. That's what it meant. So Elijah, I want you just to catch this. Elijah, when he's taunting, man, he is slamming these guys. He's like, oh, where, where, how come your God's not answering? He's like, oh, he's probably busy. I don't know, maybe he had a bad burrito last night. He's, you know, and he is just, it's amazing what he's saying to these guys. So, so look at this. He's like, maybe he's sleeping or he needs to be awakened. Verse 28. So they shouted louder, and they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until the blood flowed. These guys, what they would do as a way of trying to show their desperation, they would often cut themselves and make themselves bleed and saying, God, Baal, please, see how serious we are about you want us to answer us? And so they did that. Verse 29. Midday passed until they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. So you guys get this, morning to evening, all the way through, these guys are praying. And then look at this response. But there was no response, no one answered, and no one paid attention. I want you just to notice a few things about, just a couple observations about the prayer of the prophets of Baal. Just a few observations. I'll put them up on the PowerPoint for you. But first off, I want you to notice that the prayer was extensive. The prayer was um, extensive. The prayer went, uh, if you look at, the, at verse 26 and 29, it went from morning till noon and, from, uh, from the e and all the way up until the evening sacrifice. Now, I don't know about you, but me personally, I don't know one person, I don't know one person who has prayed all day. I don't know one person who has said, from morning to evening, I'm going to pray. This is one of the most extensive prayers recorded for us in the Bible. Like I said, I think the only, the only other um, uh, example that we have in the Bible that, that beats this is Jesus. And we're told that Jesus prayed all night on a few occasions. But here we have one of the most extensive prayers in the Bible. Look at this. It was physical. They're dancing. They're shouting. It's like a Harlem Shake video. It's crazy. These guys are really involved as they do this. Notice it's fervent. They're shouting louder. They're slashing themselves. I mean, these guys are desperate, right? Desperate for their God to answer. It's an authentic prayer. They, they mean what they say. They have faith that Baal will answer. And then look at this last thing. It was frantic and wordy. It said there was frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. The word prophesying, by the way, all that meant back in this time was to pour forth, forth many words. So they were, there was wordy. Uh, it was frantic. It was, it was this. And here we have, like I said before, we have an example of, of one of the most um, fervent one of the most active, one of the most physical prayers 
one of the most authentic prayers recorded for us in all of the Bible. And what is the response? Well, the response is recorded for us right there. Look at it again. It says, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Three negatives. There was no response. No one answered. Nobody paid attention. Right? And, and why is that? Well, here, here's what we said earlier. Prayer itself, this is what I was saying, prayer itself is mostly powerless. Mostly. But, but here's what you need to understand about prayer. Here's the observation that I've found. This is the second thing. In fact, if you get nothing out of anything else I say today, just get this one thing. All right? In fact, I would even charge you, if you can, write it down. Because this is really the crux of the matter as it relates to prayer. And that's this. Prayer is only as powerful as the one behind it. Prayer is only as powerful as the one behind it. That's it. Prayer itself, and you, you get what I'm saying there, right? The activity of prayer itself is mostly powerless. I mean, yeah, it's got some benefits. Yeah, it's got some, you know, it lowers your, your, your heart rate and it, you know, helps you deal, cope with anxiety and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's got, it's got some minimal power. But look, prayer itself is mostly powerless, but prayer is only as powerful as the one who's behind it. Why is it that the prophets of Baal can cry out and scream and slash themselves and dance and go through all of this rigmarole and nothing happens? It's because they're praying to no one. That's why. Because prayer is only as powerful as the one who's behind it. Listen, for some of you, you may have been taught, maybe you grew up in a religious background or maybe you grew up um, uh, you know, learning the faith that you were part of taught you um, that prayer was all about the, the prayer itself, right? Like you, you have to say these certain words in these certain orders and you have to, you know, be in these positions and you have to pray it these many times and it's only by doing that that, you know, something's actually going to happen. Or maybe you've been taught that prayer is all about the position that you're in and how many times you, you pray that prayer in that particular day. Maybe you've been taught, I don't know what you've been taught about prayer, but listen, here's what you need to know. It does not matter how fervent you are. It does not matter how wordy you are. It doesn't matter what combination of words and how ritualistic you are in your prayer. The starting point of understanding prayer is understanding that prayer is only as powerful as the one who's behind it. That's it. Prayer is only as powerful as the one behind it. Prayer itself is mostly powerless. Well, then, of course, you get to Elijah's prayer. And I want you, as we look at Elijah's prayer, I just want you to think about, compare in your mind his prayer with their prayer. So check it out. So it says, um, verse 27, or no, I'm sorry, verse 30. Um, then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. So he's like, all right, you guys all tired? We've been doing this all day. It's evening now. All right, guys, come over here. So they came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. And Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, you shall, uh, Your name shall be Israel. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. Okay, so basically he's like, um, I'm going to put this altar together, get everything ready. And then he's like, here's what I want you guys to do. He says, not only do I want you to set up the altar, but I also want you to get some large, some large shovels it's like, I want you to dig a trench around uh, the altar. And the Bible says that it needs to be big enough to hold two seas of seed. And that would have been like a big barrel that could hold about 24 pounds of seed. So he's like, I, I want it to be big enough that, that there's this big trench that surrounds the altar. And then look what he says. It says, he arranged the wood, and he cut the bull into pieces, and he laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, so I want you to fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering, on the wood. And, and, and he says, I want you to do it again, he said, and they did it again. 
He says, do it a third time. He ordered them, and they did it a third time. And the water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. What's he doing here? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's trying to ensure for them that what he's about to do, that what's about to happen is not a trick. He's like, I, I just want you to know I got nothing up my sleeve. In fact, not only am I going to set up this altar, but I want you to soak it. It's like, so, so go get some water, pour it on there, saturate the wood with water. And they do it three times so much. The Bible says that the trench that surrounded the altar was full of water now. And so, so it's an impossible situation. He's already got all the odds against him, right? He's already playing on, on you know, it's all, he's already got the, uh, the playing in a way game here, right? He's at Mount Carmel. He's already 450 against one. He's already talking about the game of lightning. Now he's like, wet the altar down. He just keeps making the situation worse and worse for himself. And then watch this. Uh, do it a third time he ordered, and the water ran down the altar. Verse 36, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed. This is so cool. The Bible tells us what he prayed. So he prays. Look at his prayer. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's like, let me just make sure everyone knows who I'm praying to real quick. Like, let me dial in his name so we all know who we're talking about. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. That is the God of the Old Testament. Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. I've done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that the people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then in verse 38, man, and then the fire of the Lord fell and burned the sacrifice. Watch this. The wood, the stones, and the soil, and it also licked up the water in the trench. So we're not just talking about like a little fire. This isn't like a big lighter from heaven, right? This is like an explosion. The Bible says the stones caught fire. That's crazy. It licked up all the water. This whole thing happened. How did God do that? Well, I would just assume, I, I can't be sure, but the way I think God did, that was probably a bolt of lightning. That just makes sense because they thought God, that Baal was the God of lightning. And so the Bible says that God answered immediately and there's this massive explosion. And can you imagine, I mean, there's a few moments in the Bible I really wish I could have been there. This is one of them. I would just love to have seen how this happened and what the responses of the people would have been. Well, the Bible tells us the responses of the people. Look at verse 39. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate. They're just like, boom, like fold like a cheap lawn chair. They're down, you know. They all fell prostrate and they cried out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. In other words, it's like a referee raising the hand of the victor. They're like, oh, yep, Yahweh totally wins this one. And the people cried out to God. And this was the beginning of the nation of Israel turning their hearts back to Yahweh. Incredible story. I want you just to notice, though, a few things about Elijah's prayer compared to the prayers of the prophets of Baal. The prayers of the prophets of Baal were extensive. Elijah's prayer is so short. It's barely even a paragraph long. Um, the prophets of Baal prayed in a very ritualistic way. It was very wordy. Um, Elijah's prayer is very personal. Notice he's, he doesn't have like the right word combination. He's like, God, answer me. I'm your servant. Uh, I, everything I'm doing is something you've asked me to do. I pray that you would do your will here. It's a very straightforward prayer. It was very, you know, there's nothing flashy about it. Look, if you were to judge, right, this competition strictly on who prayed better, like, the prophets of Baal would have totally got it, right? Their prayers involved dancing and violence. It was better than most movies that we see today. It was awesome. It was a performance, you know? And Elijah's prayer was weak, man. It was just like, hey, God, uh, you want to answer this uh, for us and do something? And then, like, God totally answered. Why is it then 
Uh, the prophets of Baal prayer was so powerless and the, prophets of, and, and the prophet Elijah's prayer was so powerful because prayer is only as powerful as the one behind it. Listen, greater is the weakest cry to a powerful God than an elaborate performance to nobody. It's the greatest thing. I was thinking about this this week um, and weeks in past, and I was just thinking about my, my little boy. I got two little boys at home. I got a three-year-old, I got a four-year-old, and it's a riot. It's so much fun with these little guys. And the thing that I love so much about this stage of the game is their imaginations. They have imaginations that are just beyond, I mean, like every kid does, right? But they're just so funny, so funny. They're saying stuff all the time that I'm like, what? It's just cracking me up. And, uh, and, my, and especially, for some reason right now, my, my three-year-old, uh, Leland, some of you guys actually watch him in the nursery. He's just a blast. He, he says the funniest things. He's got a, such a wild imagination. And so, um, so recently, he has this, um, I guess this is an imaginary friend. I'm not entirely sure. He calls him Becco. And he's talking about, he, I'm serious, this kid's talking about Becco all the time. And so the other day, for example, we're, he and I were sitting down, and he was starting to grab at my beard. And he's just starting to pull at it. And he's like, what is that, Dad? I was like, oh, it's a beard. And he goes, you need to wash that off. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh, you don't like it? He's like, no. He's like, oh, so thanks for being honest, I guess. I said, well, where's your beard? Just kidding around with him, you know? And he goes, oh, Becco took it. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, there's Becco again, you know? He's just talking about it. Or we'll be sitting down at dinner, and, uh, and I'll be like, Leland, you need to eat all your dinner. And, and he'll say, but Becco said I could get down. And I'll be like, well, Becco's not your father. Okay? In fact, Becco doesn't exist. <laughs> so eat your food. You know? And we just get into this. Becco is everywhere. And uh, it's just so funny. And the other thing that's funny is he talks about, um, so he makes up like Becco, but he also makes up this other thing. I don't even know if it's a person or what it is. He calls it P-Dimber. He talks about, it all, talks about it all the time. I have no idea. So we'll pray. at nighttime we pray, and we leave it open-ended. And so we start off and we say, thank you, God, for, and we let our boys fill in the blank. And every night, thank you, God, for Pete Ember, Becco. I'm like, what are you talking about, kids? So one day I was talking to my friend about Pete Ember, and I'm like, I don't, like, I don't know what he's talking about. He's always talking about Pete Ember. And my friend was laughing. He thought it was funny. And he goes, what is Pete Ember? I said, I don't know. Why don't you ask him? So Leland's walking past us, right? And my friend's like, hey, Leland, what's P. Dimber? And Leland, without even looking at my friend or breaking stride, just goes like this. <laughs> We're like, what? Like, apparently this is P. Dimber, right? Leland, what's P. Dimber? Mm, there it is, man. I'm like, is that a game symbol? What's he doing here? So, um, so that's P. Dimber. So anyway, wild imaginations, crazy kids. So, so one of the things I thought was funny was uh, my boys right now, I'm sure you guys are like this too. My wife and I, we have these old cell phones. You guys remember the old flip phone from like, you know, 2001, a decade ago or whatever? And I remember um, having this phone. This is my old phone, actually. And, um, and then once, I, once the phone started to progress, this became completely useless. And uh, so these became, for us, toys for our children. So our kids play with our old cell phones all the time. Obviously, they can do no damage. They're disconnected. The batteries are taken out of them. They're useless, right? But the kids love them, and they play with them constantly. So Leland, the other day, was playing with this little phone. It was so fun to listen to him talking. So he's talking on his little fake phone, and he's just engaging in this conversation. And I'm like, who are you talking to? Can you guess? Becco, right? What are you talking to him about? Pete Ember, you know? And so he's talking to Becco about Pete Ember, and, blah, 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 and he's having it. It's just funny to listen to him. He's telling him, you know, you better eat your food, Becco, just repeating things that his dad and his mom say to him. He's talking, it's cute, it's funny, right? It's kind of, it's kind of a neat thing. But here's the thing that I know 
about Becco and the thing that my son knows about Becco. Becco is not real, right? And so if my son, if he actually needed real help, if he actually needed real wisdom, if he actually needed guidance, it would not matter how fervently he dialed, how, how loudly he yelled to, for Becco, Becco, come help me! Right? It would not work. And why? Is it because Becco's mean? No, it's because Becco's not real. He knows that, and I know that. Now compare that for a minute to this past week. Okay, this past week, I was at a conference um, in Columbus for a couple days, and I called home just to check in on my iPhone. And, uh, and I called my wife, and I talked to her, and then after a little while, she passed the phone to Leland. And I got to talk to Leland on the phone. It was a great conversation. It was funny. But what's the difference here? Well, the difference is that he's actually connected to a real person. He's connected to a real dad who really loves him, who has real power to actually help him when he's in need, who has real guidance, who wants to give that to him, who has real wisdom. Not, I mean, not a ton. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a sinner. I don't have a ton of wisdom. But I have some, I have some ability to help him, right? And the difference is that one is connected to nobody and the other one's connected to somebody. One is connected to an imaginary friend. The other one's connected to his dad, cares about him, and he loves him. And listen, in a lot of ways, you guys, I feel like this is what prayer is like. Prayer itself, prayer itself, is mostly powerless. It's a piece of plastic. It doesn't matter. It's a means by which we communicate. Prayer is only as powerful as the one who's behind it, as the one that you're actually connecting with. Listen, for some of you this morning... You have real problems in your life right now. All of us do. Have real problems in our life now, right now that need and require real power. I'm not talking about like lower my anxiety and um, like, you know, meditate a little bit and give me some peace of mind and lower my stress level. I'm not talking about that. Look, for some of you, your marriages are in trouble. You need real power. You don't need this this, you know, lower my breathing patterns mumbo-jumbo. You don't need that, right? For some of you, you're facing addictions right now. And you need real power. You need real help. You need someone who's real to help you that's more powerful than you are behind that. Some of you are facing tragedy right now. It's hard for you to walk through this period of your life because of the tragedy you're facing. You need real hope. Real hope. I'm not just talking about some synthetic... Uh, you know, this is kind of on, on par with a power nap type of thing. It's not what you need. You need real power, right? And listen, here's the beautiful thing about prayer. The Bible tells us that prayer is only as powerful as the one behind it. And one of the things you're going to find in the Bible as we go through this is that God is a loving Father who cares for you. And he's an all-powerful creator. And he offers you an invitation to connect with him. Prayer is only as powerful as the one behind it. Prayer itself is mostly powerless. And all of that brought me to this conclusion. And this is the last thing I'll leave with you. This is my final conclusion in the matter. Prayer is not learned by focusing on it. Okay, if you want to learn to pray, don't focus on it itself. If you want to learn to pray, you have to understand the one behind it. That's where it starts. When you begin to learn the power of God and the one who's standing behind and the one who's available, your heavenly Father who's making himself accessible to you, you will no longer forget to pray. Look, my fear for some of us is that for, for, some of, for those of us who follow Jesus and pray, and I know not, like I said, not everyone believes in Jesus. Some of you are investigating this. My fear is for some of us who are investigating Jesus or, or for some of us who follow Jesus, that if we are really honest, the reason we don't pray is because we view prayer the same way that my son views talking to Becco. We don't actually think anyone's listening. 
we, we're like, what's this actually doing? What does this actually help? And the reason we forget to pray and the reason we put off prayer is because if we were honest, we don't actually believe there's someone listening. Listen, prayer is only as powerful as the one behind it. And if you, the starting place in understanding prayer is understanding the heart of the one who's behind prayer. And so through this series, my hope is simply this, that we can begin understanding a little bit more about what prayer is, what God's intentions are behind it, and we can learn to engage with him. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and uh, as they do, I just want to close with a brief challenge this morning. This is just an introduction. My hope is, I mean, I'm just guessing you have more questions than you have answers today, and that's fine. This is an introduction. Um, and the rest of the series, we'll dig into some more. We're not going to answer all of your questions, obviously, um, but we're always open to grabbing a cup of coffee with you and talking. Anyone from our staff would love to sit down with you and chat. But let me just give you a couple, a couple things. For, for, the, for those who are Christ followers, for the Christian, all right? Uh, my guess is that as we've been talking about this, maybe in your heart, um, God has been rekindling a passion to pray. And my guess is there's probably situations in your life right now that you're facing that you're like, I absolutely need the power of God in, in these situations. And maybe for you, you have been stirred to pray. You're like, I got to find time to pray. I have to do this. I need to get some time in prayer. And, and that's just be honest, that's the way I feel. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is so good. This is so true. I've got to find time to do this now. So you know what? I always want to give you some time. Right now, right here. We're going to give you a couple minutes, let you interact with God. Cry out to him. Call for his power in your situation and, uh, and ask for that. This week, I want to encourage you, too, to engage in prayer. And if you guys need help with that, we've actually created a resource for you. It's every day. Uh, there's a, there's a, a little focus about who God is. And then it, there's some challenging in prayer. And that's just something that we've designed for you to help you pray. You can get that at the Welcome Center afterwards, a little prayer journal that we've created for you. We encourage you. If you're not a Christian, if you're a person that's investigating Jesus, you're not real sure if you even believe that there is a God, right? Well, here's my challenge to you, all right? Um, maybe do this. This is your first prayer ever. Maybe your first prayer is during this time, would you just ask God, say, man, if you're real, if you're real and you really do want to connect with me, because I, be I believe this wholeheartedly. I believe that God is our heavenly father, that he wants to connect with us through prayer, and that he's created prayer as a mechanism in which we can connect with him, right? I believe that. I believe that God has real power for you that's available that you're not tapping into um, because God says in the Bible, you have not because you ask not. There are some things that you are not asking for that God wants to give you and connect with you. If that's true, maybe you just need to ask this. Just ask God authentically from your heart. God, if you're real, would you just show yourself to me in some way? I mean, it doesn't need to be a bolt of lightning, you know, and licking up the fire and all those kind of things. Like, I don't want to, you know, put conditions on the way that God reveals himself. But ask him, would you reveal yourself to me? Would you show me? Are you real? Are you real? And then join in the series as we investigate prayer together. Let me pray for us, and then I'll let you pray. Just give you space to do that yourself. And Jesus, I want to say thank you because, um, uh, really, prayer is only as powerful as one behind it. And God, I know that, um, that uh, prayer itself is pretty much powerless. I mean, there's some benefit to it, I guess. There's some psychological, physiological benefit to practicing prayer. Oh, but if you're real, God, then oh man, prayer is much more powerful than we could ever imagine. Not because prayer is powerful, but because of the one who's behind it. God, for some of us, we have real situations, real issues, real problems, real grief that we're facing right now. And, and we don't need some Reader's Digest, lower your anxiety, mumbo-jumbo. We don't need that. 
we need a Father who cares for us to help us with things that we cannot do ourselves. God, I need need you more than I can admit, and I know that we do too. And so, Father, I pray that you would lead us to you. For the person who doesn't know you, who's still investigating you, who's desperately trying to figure out if you're real, God, I do ask you that you would just flat out show yourself to them. And I'm not, I'm not going to limit how you do that. You do that how you choose to do that. But I show you, I pray you'd open their eyes to your, the reality of who you are. And we just ask these things in Christ's name.